Hey, would you give our worship team and tech team a big hand? Will you let them know you appreciate them as well? Uh, one member of uh, the tech team mentioned to me as I sort of walked off that I may have mentioned something that was not accurate. Did any of you hear me say that I'd be speaking at the North Campus Sunday? How many of you know that is not right? That is not correct. How many of you know what I intended to say? Yeah, that's right. Pastor, be here. I'll be there. So you, you caught the point. And I'll, okay. Enough about that. Hey, how many of you were here last Wednesday night when Pastor Tim spoke? Didn't he do a fabulous job with that Wednesday night message? That was a great, great message, and I told him so. But how many of you noticed that while I was over in that area there, minding my business, being innocent, uh, in fact, I spoke to him in the ready room, and I knew the passage and so I was already looking my electronic device for the passage, preparing my heart and my mind to receive the message when all of a sudden he took his liberties and began to speak in disparaging tones about a certain football team that I like. Did you, any of you remember that? You remember that? So I just thought it would be only appropriate in response to that that um, knowing what's happening Saturday, that we would all join hands and we would pray that God's blessing and favor would rest upon the Bulldogs this coming Saturday from 3.30 to 7.40. And I see that you're being a very non-cooperative group. I see that. I notice this. Well, kidding aside, I'm very, very excited about the message tonight, and I want to share it with you, and we're simply calling it third person because it centers around actually the third person of the Trinity. We know this. We've been around church long enough to realize that, that there is God the Father. We know that. We have God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, what is unique, and the next time you go back and you read your Bible or your devotional time, I want you to notice something that maybe you've never thought about before. Maybe you've never seen. It's never been brought to your attention before. Do you notice that God starts pointing to Jesus? Guys, like the activity of God is pointing toward Jesus, and then Jesus, especially toward the latter portion of his ministry, he starts pointing to the Holy Spirit. So it's like God is saying, I want you to prepare yourself because I'm sending Jesus. And then it's like Jesus saying, hey, it's to your advantage that I go away because when I go away, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send to you. You remember what he said, right? I'm going to send to you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send to you a comforter. God says, all right, you prepare yourself. I'm sending Jesus. Jesus is saying, I want you to prepare yourself. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. But quite often people think this, well, you know, I, I see God in the Old Testament, and, and I get that, I understand that, and then most assuredly I see Jesus in the New Testament, and we read about His life, and we read about His death, and we read about His miracles, and we read about His resurrection, and so it's like we've got the God of the Old Testament down, Jehovah, and we have Jesus down in the New Testament, but there seems to be at times you know, even in the context of the body of Christ, where there's this mysterious element concerning the Holy Spirit. And we start asking questions like, all right, how does, you know, in terms of a biblical landscape, how does the Holy Spirit really fit in? And who is He? And what does He actually do? And as we launch into this message tonight, it's so important that we keep in mind, and I really, really want you to hear this, that the Holy Spirit, when you study when you study the activity, the person in the activity of the Holy Spirit in the Bible, the Holy Spirit, how many of you know this, is not the third-string quarterback? He is not. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. 
He is not a ghost. He is not a vanishing mist. The Holy Spirit, listen to this, friends, the Holy Spirit is a person, but the Holy Spirit is more than a person. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. But again, there's this mysterious portion of Him, and so we need to talk about that. And I'm going to talk about one one portion. There's so many different directions. If you're going to talk about the person, the Holy Spirit, His activity, what He does, there's so many directions that we could go with that, but I want to go in one specific area, and we're going to get to that in just a moment. But before we get there, I want to ask a question. It's not a trick question. Let me just toss it out uh, to you. How, How many of you how many of you are morning people? You are morning people. Let me just see your hands. You're morning people. So am I. Haven't always been that way. I used to be sort of a night owl, and then just gradually over time as I got older, so my normal uh, waking up time is 5 a.m., and I like to get up early. I love getting up early. And uh, so I'm a, uh, I'm a early morning person just like many of you who raised your hands. Now, how many of you are not morning people, so certainly you're a night person. Man, you, you're a night person, stay up late. You've got the opportunity to be able to sleep in late. And um, sort of a follow-up question to these questions would simply be this. How many of you feel that God was not involved at all in the creation of the alarm clock? Like God had nothing to do with that, uh, you know, um, I heard somebody say, a Christian writer one time said, if there's any device that has ever been created whose zip code is hell, it's the alarm clock. That's how they, that's how they stated it. Now, according to USA Today, more than one-third of American adults, listen to this now, hit the snooze button of average of three times every single morning. All right? So, again, not a trick question. I'm just asking, not trying to cause any trouble here tonight. So let me ask you, how many of you, normally speaking, are going to hit the snooze button, let's say one time? Just you're sort of a one time hit the snooze button uh, kind of person. All right. Two times. All right. Honesty. How many of you know this? Honesty in church is a good thing. So two times. How many of you? Three times. How many of you? You lose count. It's let's just you know, a multiple of three, maybe. Well, on average, three times. Do you know who, uh, categorically speaking, who hits the alarm clock most? What age group? I'll give it to you, just in case you don't know. Ages 25 through 34 hit the snooze button more than any other age group. That makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, then looking back, you know, when I was 34, you know, 5, 10, 15 years or so ago. You know, I, I, that made sense to me. Do you know what age group hits the snooze button the least? It is those, a lot of you already are ahead of me, those over the age of 65. Those over the age, just sort of like, you know, it's get up, get going kind of thing. Uh, before I came to Lakeland the second time, because I came here as a, a college student, uh, me and my family, we came here. Brent was already uh, born at that point. He is one years old. And then we came back to Lakeland, of course, to be with his great church family uh, 18 years ago, uh, this month, actually, 18 years ago this month. And uh, it's just flown by. But before uh, we came back to Lakeland, I uh, pastored a church south of Jacksonville. And in that area, there were a group of about five of us pastors that we would get together um, every Thursday, most every Thursday, you know, uh, and have lunch together. And sort of the rule was, let's relax with one another, let's be vulnerable with one another, and let's not really talk about 
church stuff unless it has a humorous element. In, in other words, it was, it was a chance to step away from sort of the responsibility of stress of leading uh, church ministry. And, and we had so many great uh, times doing that. I'll never forget uh, the occasion uh, when we were at one particular restaurant, uh, one of the youngest pastors among uh, young, uh, one of the youngest among us, and we went to this barbecue restaurant for lunch. And I'll never forget this. I still chuckle when I think about it. He had on a white button-down uh, extremely starched. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised now looking back that he was able to have mobility in his arms. It was just, it was so starched. It looked so good, so crisp. And I'll remember this. He had a, he had a big piece of uh, barbecue chicken, and he decided to uh, just add some sauce to it. And I mean, he just covered it with sauce. And I can see this like it happened yesterday. And then he picked up that piece of chicken on the ends and he went to put it into his mouth. And apparently it was a little bit too slippery and it slipped right out of his hand. And like in slow motion, like instant replay in sports, it just tumbled all the way. And we, you know, we enjoyed that. We laughed. We felt God wanted us to laugh. We laughed hilariously. So we had those kind of meetings. I can remember uh, there was one of the guys, he was, um, he was sort of the oldest uh, pastor of the group, and his name was John, Pastor John Miles, a great, great, great guy. And uh, John pastored a smaller church in the community, and, and so we got together, and we were just talking, and again, we we're trying to stay away from church, you know, ministry, and just enjoy relationship and build that, you know, sort of community among us. And he just started chuckling. We're like, okay, John, what's up? Obviously, you're thinking about something. And he said, I am, but I'm almost embarrassed to tell you guys. And we're like, okay, you're already into it now. You've got to tell us. Because he's laughing at just the thought of us. So we're like, we're going to tell, you know, we want you to tell us. Now, this has gone back 20 plus years now. I don't even know the name of the machine. I don't know how it operated. But he had a small church, so there really wasn't much of a staff aside from him and hardworking pastor, loved God, loved his people, and he's just trying to step up the technology of his church a little bit. So he invested in one of these automated uh, call everybody machines. You record your voice, and then you plug in all of the numbers of everybody in your church family, and it it automatically calls you. How many of you are following me? I don't know the name of it, but it automatically calls you. And so he didn't have a lot of staff to make calls. And so he had designed it around like a, a time change, like, hey, don't forget. He wanted to call all of his people on Saturday afternoon and remind them, hey, don't forget. This is Pastor John Miles of the First Church of God, and I just want to call you and let you know I'm looking forward to having you in church in the morning. But before you go to sleep tonight, don't forget to turn your clock forward. And so, pretty impressive device. None of us had one. We were interested, but we're wondering why he's laughing. Well, he got all of the phone numbers, his entire church family correct, but what he got wrong is the time for them to be called. So, he called everybody in his church family right about 3 a.m. Sunday morning. Everybody's phone's going off. Pick it up, stumble. How many of you know when your phone rings in the middle of the night, you're not thinking this is a friendly call? And so you're like, you, a little panic, you know, shoots through your body. And, and so person after person in his church family would pick up the phone, 3 a.m., and hear, hi, this is Pastor John Miles, and I just want to let you know I'm looking forward to having you. And, well, of course, now we join him in his laughter. And it's funny. And then he said, but that's not all. And we're thinking, can it really get worse? 
He said, oh, yeah, it, it, it gets worse because the way it's set up, the way this device works, is if you don't pick it up by the fifth ring, it's going to wait about 30 minutes and it's going to call you again. So just as soon as all of his church got back to sleep finally, calls him again later. So he said the next morning, he said there was a lot of red-eyed people looking, we're going to get you, Pastor, you just wait. We're going to get you. We don't like to be awakened. And uh, one of the things, when you think about the alarm clock, it just sort of awakens us out of our sleep and our slumber. Now, one of the things that the Holy Spirit does, and this is the part that I want to talk to you about tonight, is one of the activities of the Holy Spirit, and He's so good at this, is He convicts. He convicts. Now, I want you to see these verses up on the screen. They're going to put them up here uh, for you. Look at this. This is out of John's Gospel. Uh, You've read this. Most of you have many times before. It says, when He, and Jesus is pointing again to the Holy Spirit, and He said, when He comes, He will convict the world of guilt, convict, convict, the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, it spans because men do not believe in me, Jesus is saying. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of the world now stands condemned. Now, most of us, uh, maybe all of us, are very much aware of conviction even when we're not thinking about conviction all the way through. Let me explain what I mean by that. We may not be thinking in the moment that is conviction. If we were to stop and say, okay, well, what's going on? We would know. We could put a label on it, but we just sort of instinctively know that when we do things, have you ever had this? I know you have. We all have. We probably have had it multiple times in a week, maybe where we've said, like, why did I do that? Have you ever had that feeling? Like, why did I do that? I knew better than to do that. I knew I wasn't supposed to do that. Why did I do that? I knew better. I shouldn't have done it, but I did it. And we feel conviction. How many of you know what that feeling is like? I'm going to wave not just one hand, but I'm going to wave a couple of hands. All right? We felt that sometimes. We may feel that multiple times in the course of a week. So we feel conviction. All right? I shouldn't have done it, but I did it. Or it may work this way you know, I should have done that. We felt like maybe there was a whisper, a prompting, a leading from God, from the Holy Spirit, that we should do a particular thing, maybe help a particular person to get involved in a particular cause, to provide relief or help or encouragement. And we know that we should have done the right thing, but in the right moment, we didn't do the right thing. And then we're like, like after the fact, we're like, oh man, I feel this. It's, it too, it's a different nature of it, but we feel it. It's not that we shouldn't have done something that we did. It's that we should have done something that we did not do. And the Holy Spirit's, and we've got to understand this, the Holy Spirit's activity in our life is much like, as we mentioned earlier, an alarm clock that goes off, like an internal alarm clock that goes off on the inside of us. And after we've done it, and generally speaking, by the way, prior to us doing what we should not have done, the Holy Spirit is saying, no, you should do that. That's, that's not good. That's not wise. You're going to have regret. Don't be foolish here. Don't do this. And then if we move forward and we do whatever it is, anyhow, there's a sense of, you know what? I shouldn't have done that. And conviction, it's the Holy Spirit. Conviction rushes in, or, or I should have done this. I know I should have done that. I feel bad. If God gives me another opportunity to do this, I'll, make, I'll do it. Conviction. Now, 
Let's take that word for just a moment because maybe you've seen the word, you've thought about the activity of the Holy Spirit personally in your own life in this regard, but you've never really thought about it as the way that the word is used originally speaking. So I want to, if you're taking notes, I want to give you two or three words for you to think about that are tethered to this word conviction. On this word in the original language, it is translated in a couple of different ways. And the first word, or the first meaning of conviction, is connected to this idea. Firstly, be sure you get it, it's this idea of rebuke. Rebuke. Now, you know, sometimes, especially in church life, and especially if you grew up, you know, in a church that, you know, where maybe there were some uh, people that they felt like, it, you know, their, their spiritual gift was the ministry of rebuke. You know, you have a negative connotation. Somebody that's always trying to tell everybody else what to do and not quite living it themselves. And, you know, I can tell you, you know, I've, I, can, I can try to reach and get that little splinter that is in your eye, but I forget that I've got this gargantuan telephone pole in my own eye. How many of you know what I'm talking about, all right? Don't point to anybody, just say, I know what I'm talking You know, you know what you're talking about. You know and so, um, it's that idea of rebuke, and sometimes for us it has a negative connotation, and that's unfortunate, really. But this is a kind of conviction, when you think of it from this original language, this idea of rebuke is actually directed toward a person that is far from God, a person that is not yet a follower of Jesus. And I'll take you back. It's not on the screen, but that, back to what we just saw a moment ago. This is verses 8 and 9, again from John 16, and this is what Jesus is saying. He's talking about, remember, the activity of the Holy Spirit, the third person. What does He do? What does God the Holy Spirit do? And Jesus said He's going to convict the world. He's going to rebuke the world in regard to sin because they do not believe in Me. So, you see… You with me? Wave at me like this. Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit's going to convict the world because, and again, it's directed toward in this context, in this idea of those who are outside of the kingdom of God, those who are outside of the family of God. And, and he's saying God is going to convict them because they don't believe in me. Now, I want you to carefully hear what I'm about to say. This is really, really important because I know every one of us in this sanctuary tonight, all of us have a family member or a close friend that is not yet a Christian. We're praying for somebody that is not yet a follower of Jesus. And I just, and you may already be doing this, by the way, but if you're not, I want to encourage you to start doing this. When you pray for them, one of the best things that you can pray for them, catch this now, is you should pray for a good dose of conviction to settle into their lives. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And I've got these unsafe family members and friends, and loved ones, and I pray for them. And I pray a lot of different ways. I say, God, put somebody in their path. Put somebody in their path that's going to share the gospel with them. Put somebody in their life, whether they work or they live in there. Put somebody in their path that's going to speak up, that's going to be courageous enough to speak up. But then primarily what I want to pray, I want to pray that the Holy Spirit, listen now, will do something that no person could ever do and that he would do that internal conviction. You with me on this? An alarm clock that goes off and just sort of says, you know you need to have a relationship with Jesus. Because, and this is why it's so important, without conviction, follow me on this, without conviction there is no awareness of sin. Without an awareness of sin there is no repentance. Without repentance there is no forgiveness. And without forgiveness there is no salvation. And so it starts with conviction and who is behind it? Jesus said it's the Holy Spirit. 
The purpose of the Holy Spirit's conviction is to draw people to Jesus. And you and I may think, even looking back at our own lives, that maybe you've been a Christian for a long, long time, and, and you may think, well, I remember, you may even have said it before, I remember when I decided to give my life to Jesus. All right, we all get that. I get that. You get that. I remember when I decided back in so-and-so, I was driving in my car, I was in church, I came at the end of a service to an altar call, I was at a crusade, I was at a Christian concert, I was at my home, uh, you know, and I decided, I decided that I was going to give my life to Jesus. But how many of you know you would have never had the capacity to make that decision had the Holy Spirit not already convicted you and said, I want you to come to Jesus? I want you to come to Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit, even when we couldn't identify it, even when we didn't understand what was happening, the Holy Spirit, isn't this exciting when you think about what God, even before you knew God, God knew you. Even before you wanted to go in God's direction, God was drawing you to himself. How was he doing it? He was doing it by the Holy Spirit. What was the Holy Spirit doing? The Holy Spirit was convicting you, convicting me. It's the activity of the Holy Spirit, doing what people can't do. Look, Paul, this great church leader, I want you to see what he says in this first letter to believers living in Corinth. Look at these verses with me, two of them. Uh, Paul said, my teaching and preaching were not with words of human wisdom. He's saying, I, I, I wasn't clever, smart enough. It wasn't like they heard this great presentation that I was a great orator, and then that's what did it. He said, it's not by that, that, you know, we're not with words of human wisdom that persuade people but, look at this now, with proof of the power that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives. This was so that your faith would be in, read the rest of it with me, would be in God's power and not in human wisdom. It's the third person. It's the activity of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Now, let me do a timeout right here. There may be those of you that are in this service right here, right now, this section, this section, this section, this, in, in the balcony, there may be those of you that are watching online, and right now in this moment, even while I'm sharing this message, you may be saying, well, you know, the reason that I'm tuned in, the reason I went online, the reason I came tonight is because there is some increased conviction going on in my life. There's some increased conviction going on in my life. And how many of you know that is not a bad thing? That is a good thing. That is a good thing. It is good because it is a clear indication that God's love for you is so great that He is trying, catch this now, to raise your awareness of sin so that you would come to Him and that He would become the Savior and the Redeemer, the Lord and the leader of your life. So conviction is a good thing. It is indicative of the love of God. Now, how can, how can he, if you're just saying, well, you know what, Jeff, that's exactly where I'm at. Maybe that you're here tonight. Maybe you're a young family and you're like, I know I need to get my, ch my kids in church. I know at Victory Church, because I grew up there, I used to go here and I got away from God. And now I'm coming back and I know that we've got girls ministry and rangers and we've got student church and I need, you know, I've got kids now. So it's about more than just me. Now it's about my kids and I need to bring my kids to church. And it's like right now, it's not even for you, it's for them. And that's, that's fine. But there are some increased conviction going on in your life, and maybe you're here, seated right here, and you're saying, well, how can he save me? I I've messed up. I'm one of those people who said, I 
I'm never going back to church, and here you are. I, I don't want to have anything to do with God, and, and now, you, now you're thinking about that. Or maybe you're like, you know, the Bible just has so many questions and contradictions, you know, at least that's what my friends talk about, and so they're probably right because they appear to be smarter than I am, so can I really put, well, how can He save you? Jesus can actually save you because He has paid off your accumulated sin debt 2,000 years ago when He died on the cross in your place. Now, why do I miss, mention that? Because I don't want you to hit the snooze button. This is bigger than you just making the decision that you're going to get back to church. That you grew up in the church and you got away from God and you made some, you know, foolish decisions. You did some things you're not proud of. And now you're coming back to church and yet you've yet to step over the line of faith. And you're like, and I'm just saying to you, please hear me on this. Don't hit the snooze button. It is bigger than you just deciding you're coming back to church. It is bigger than you just deciding that you want your kids to be involved in church. Does this make sense to anybody? If it does, wave your hand like this. How do we know this? Look at these uh, two verses. This is, this is the book of Acts. Look at these two verses. Acts 2, 36 and 37. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. All right? This is really important. Look at what happens next. When the people heard this, they were, look at these words right here, they were cut to the heart. Anybody want to guess of another good word that we could insert there? They felt conviction. They were convicted. The Holy Spirit was at work. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They felt conviction like, what do we need to do about this? Now, this word rebuke, you know, associated with conviction, it may not sound like a nice, helpful, loving word unless you realize that it's connected to the Comforter, a descriptive term for the Holy Spirit. And let me ask you, and you don't have to raise your hand or anything, but just think about it. Have you ever been corrected? Have you ever been, and I use this word carefully because it can be so misused, have you ever been rebuked, uh, rebuked by a true friend, a true Comforter? If so, it's not somebody trying to make themselves, you know, sanctimonious and smug and they're better than you and, you know, you shouldn't even call yourself a Christian. You got all, you're so messed up. It is somebody that walks into your life and they've been a part of your life and they've earned your trust and confidence and love and they have the guts to look at you one day and say, you know what, I'm going to say something to you and it's not going to be really easy for me to say to you, but I say this and it's true, it's authentic. I'm saying this because I love you. I'm this is a true friend. This is a comforter. The Proverbs talk about that. The words of, you know, of a friend, even though they sometimes may be not what you want to hear in the moment, are powerful words that God can use. Somebody that says, I can't stand back and be passive while I see you wreck your life and mess up the lives of people around you. This, my friends, is what the Holy Spirit also does. He's saying, I love you too much. I can't sit back and just let you waste your life. I can't sit back and just be passive. Now, I, I need to move on. I want to give you a second word. You got that first word, rebuke. Remember who it's primarily directed to, right? People who are maybe far from God, outside of the kingdom of God, people that are not yet Christians. Let me give you a second word that is linked to our word conviction, and it is the word. You ready for this? It is the word reprove. Firstly, rebuke. Now, this idea of reprove or reproving. Back in John 16, 10, where we started, Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit will convict in regards to righteousness. Now, 
While this idea or word rebuke seems to be directed toward those who have yet to receive Jesus as Savior and leader, the word reprove is certainly in reference to those who are already Christ's followers. Can I just tell you something right here, right now, while we're together? Just because you're a follower of Jesus does not mean that you have grown beyond conviction. You with me on that? How many of you already know, without me having to state it, how many of you know that you, you certainly haven't grown beyond temptation? You ever wish that? You ever wish that where you're like, man, God, can I just reach a point in my life where I'm never tempted to do anything wrong? I mean, can I just earn some stripes, some bars? Can I, can I just, like, hit the 20-year mark or the 30-year mark and, like, you know, my flesh is just finally not having these impulses over my life. I don't have these carnal desires or carnal thoughts that we've been talking about this in our Sunday morning message series. Wouldn't that be wonderful if that happened? But we never get beyond that. And we never get beyond conviction. In this sense, the Holy Spirit convicts us concerning those things which we already know are true and right. A number of years ago, I picked up a book by Francis Chan. Some of you have heard that that name before. And let me just read one paragraph from the book. He writes, it's obvious when someone is not walking in the Spirit at least consistently. And he's not saying this judgmentally. He's just stating facts. He said, what you see and experience from such a person is usually along the lines of rage and selfishness and dissension and bitterness and envy. However, when a person is habitually and actively submitted to the Holy Spirit, what comes out of his or her life is what? The fruit of the Holy Spirit. And then he adds this, the Holy Spirit will not, cannot lead you into sin. If the Holy Spirit is in you as a believer, then when you sin, you are not listening to the Spirit's leading. Now, I want you to listen to this. You may be a Christian. You may have been a Christian for a long, long time. You may read your Bible regularly. You may have ongoing devotions. You may may, uh, be somebody that you pray consistently. You talk to God. You listen to God. You're in church every week. Maybe that you're in every service of every week. And yet, all right, may still be hitting the snooze button while the Holy Spirit is sounding some alarm in your life. You still okay? You're still glad you came to church? To where you're like, okay, I'm a Christian. I love God. I know I'm going to heaven. But, uh, wow, God's through conviction. Remember this word, reprove? He's trying to get my attention here. I'll tell this story briefly. I mentioned this this past Sunday at Lakeside. I had a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful mom. Most of you know she passed away. A uh, short time ago. Seems like in ways I miss her as much today as the week after she passed. I guess she's been on my mind a whole lot lately because her birthday would have been yesterday. And my sister and aunt, they're, you know, because mom was buried in Atlanta where we're all from, and they put some new flowers on her grave, and they're sending me some pictures, and I'm commenting. They look beautiful. Mom would be proud of those. And, and so we've got a little exchange going back and forth. Well, my, uh, my mom might would be uh, horrified if I told you this story. I don't think she would, and she can't do anything now, maybe once I get to heaven, if she figures out I told this story. But mom, for the longest time, was addicted to cigarettes. Uh, those of you that have smoked or have had the habit of smoking, uh, you know, that's a powerful addiction, isn't it? And when I was 14, 
I smoked two cigarettes, and then God miraculously delivered me. I kicked the habit, all right? So I gave it up after two. But mom started smoking when she was young, and she just smoked. And, you know, and she knew. And I want to be clear. She knew that it wasn't going to keep her out of heaven. She loved God. She loved God as much as anybody. But you know what it was? It was that one thing that just sort of was always digging at mom a little bit. Does that make sense to you at all? That it was, that, and she's like, she so wanted to be done. And I mentioned this at Lazy. She so wanted to be done, and she'd put him down for a while, and she'd pick him up, and she'd put him down for a while, and, and she'd be like, son, Jeff, I want you to pray for me. You know that mom wants to stop smoking. I've smoked all these years. And again, she knew that she loved Jesus. She knew she was going to heaven. It wouldn't keep her out of heaven. But she just wanted to get over this, over this habit, all right? And uh, so I'll never forget, this was, again, keep it in mind, she passed away when she was 70, not too long ago, and she had smoked all these years, and it was about two, two and a half years or so when mom, when God just incredibly delivered mom of smoking. And she was so excited, she called me, Jeff, you're not going to believe, and she was emotional about it. She said, I'm telling you, Jeff, God has done this. He has delivered, he has delivered me. She said, but you know what? Just to make sure that God had delivered me, I refused to throw my cigarettes into the trash can lest I be tempted to go back later and dig them out and smoke them again. So I put them in the toilet and flushed them. Now, plumbing, I don't know if that's supposed to work or not, but that's what mom did, all right? And it just, it was just so incredible for her because she had that nagging conviction. Now, I'll tell you a funny, a funny story Toward the end of her life, by now she's in hospice, and they brought the hospice bed to their home. And none of us kids were there. Nobody was there but my stepdad and her. And you got to keep in mind that mom had Lewy body dementia, so her mind would be so coherent at times, and then she'd just do some of the funniest and silliest things, craziest things, and you couldn't help but laugh. And so mom had Lewy body dementia. Some of you may remember that's the same form of dementia that Robin Williams had, if you remember that. So my stepdad said, because mom had smoked all these years, she was so excited that she had given up smoking. And then uh, my stepdad said one day, it's just him and her, he was in another room, and he said, he just came out of one of the back rooms, and the hospice bed is in the living room, and he looks at mom, and mom is laying on her back, and she is smoking an invisible cigarette. <laughs> now, here's the funny part. Again, she, she wasn't thinking... We all laughed when he told us what happened next. She's, she's smoking this invisible cigarette. She had had that habit so long, God had delivered her, and she's so happy about it, but she's smoking this invi- invisible cigarette. And then she, when she noticed my stepdad, out of the corner of her eye, come from the back room, this is exactly what mom, I'm going to show you exactly the way she did it. She's been doing this, laying on her back, and when she sees him out of the corner of her she immediately says, <laughs> like she was 12 years old all over again, like she had just been caught. And, uh, but aren't you glad that when the Holy Spirit convicts us, he does it the right way? And mom never felt, I can tell you the best as I understand, she never felt condemned by God for it. She just felt like, Jeff, this is the one thing I want to get over in my life. I want you to take a look at what Wayne Cordero has written, and then we're going to wrap up. He said, one of the main barometers of my love for God is whether or not obeying Him is becoming increasingly more difficult or increasingly more joyful. 
So would you take a moment right now, because when the Holy Spirit, when He sins, when He is reproving us, it is for us who are already in the family of God. Listen, we've got to be clear about this. This is not a heaven or hell matter. You know what it is? It's an obedience issue. And so maybe you'd pause right where you're sitting right now as a Christian and say, you know what, I want to just take a moment and conduct an authentic obedience check. What is God talking to me about? Am I doing it? Here's another word and we're done. And I'll just hit it real quickly and we'll pray. Here's another word that is often attached to our word convict. Here's the third word. Be sure you get it. And we're going to wrap up. It is the word convince. Convince. Let's return to John 16 for just a moment. Let me just read a couple of verses and then we're going to wrap up. John 16, look at verse, beginning at verse 12. I have much more to say to you, Jesus said, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit comes, this third person comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father's mind. That is why I said that the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Hebrews 3.15 says, Remember what it says today when you hear his voice. Don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. And so maybe tonight, if you're already a Christian, most all of you are, you just... Say, you know what? Is there anything I feel conviction about? And you'd say, like mom was in her situation, it wasn't a heaven or hell issue. And, but for mom, it was just that thing that she's just like, hey, I just, you know, this is nagging me. And I just, I just want to move beyond it. So maybe for you, it's something entirely different. But for you, God's saying, hey, you know what? I'm working in your life. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to guide you. I'm trying to direct you. You saw some of the words, and he will speak to you. He will guide you. He will lead you. And maybe God is saying to you tonight, hey, I want to guide you away. And the conviction for you is I want to guide you away from some things that you are doing right now that I don't want you to do. And then for us, what must resonate is are we going to listen to God? Or is God maybe saying to you tonight, well, you know, it's not really that. It's really I'm guiding you. I'm leading you to do some things that I want you to do, but for whatever reason, you're not doing them. And I want you to do them. And God is so faithful, and he's so loving. And how many of you know conviction is not a bad thing. Conviction is a good, good thing because it lets us know God cares about us in a huge, huge way. Would you stand with me for a closing prayer? Thank you, God. Thank you for this night. Thank you for such a wonderful church family. We all feel conviction about something. We all know that there's probably, even among every one of us standing in this place right now, you are convicting us all of the time about something that is in our life that you don't want to be a part of our life that you want us to just simply stop doing. And I pray that tonight, God, we would just make a covenant with you. Okay, God, I'm laying it down. I'm putting it down. No more. I'm not going to carry this anymore. I'm going to obey you. I know it's you speaking to me, God, and I want to put it down. Maybe for you it's not anything that you need to put down. Maybe it's something that you need to pick up. In that regard, we just say, Jesus, help us. Help us to do that. You've been telling us there's something we ought to do, 
something we ought to be involved in, some gift that we ought to use, some talent we ought to use, some ability that we ought to use, some person that we ought to help, some group that we ought to help, some form of money that we need to give, something that we need to do, and we've just not been doing it. Tonight, we're reminded that you're convicting us, and it's a good thing because you love us. How many of you tonight, you'd just lift your hand, you'd say, Jeff, I've got some, some kind of conviction going on in my life these days. You just raise your hand. I'm raising mine. I've some things. Yeah, yeah. I want to pray for you tonight. That raised your hand. And then we're going to, worship team's going to sing just for a few minutes. And uh, we're going to invite you to come. Maybe you want to come because you need to be anointed with oil. Maybe you want to come and pray with somebody because you're that person that you're like, hey, this is bigger than just bringing my kids to church. I need to get right with God. And we want to help to pray and lead you in that direction. Maybe you just want somebody to agree with you. Maybe you're like mom and you're like, man, you know, I've got this. I know it's not a heaven or hell issue for me. It's just something I feel some conviction about and I just want to set it down. I don't want it to be a part of my life and we're going to hang out here. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to pray right now. And if you want to come, and I hope you will, I want you to come. If you need to go, that's fine. We're out of time, but slip out quietly and the worship team is going to lead us the next few moments. God, I pray for every person that is here today that is already a Christian that just says, God, I feel conviction in my life. I know I love you. I know I'm a a believer. I know I'm going to heaven, but I know you want me to stop doing this. I know that you want to give me victory over this. I know there's something that you want me to do that currently I'm not doing that I should be doing. And so speak to us, God. Help us to obey you. For that person or persons that are here tonight, God, that they just think that, you know, I'm bringing my kids to church now and, you know, it's for them and it's not for me. Help them to understand that it's for their kids and it's for them too. And that tonight they just come right down here, meet with one of us and pray and receive you as a Savior and the leader of their life. For those that need healing, for those that need a touch from you, God, I pray that they would not leave this place without being anointed and prayed for, because we believe that the prayers of righteous people availeth much, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Everybody again said amen. So if you're coming tonight, I want you to go ahead and step out and come. We're going to be raiding right here for you. If you need to go, God bless you. Have an awesome week. We'll see you Sunday morning at one of our campuses. We love you.
tonight. God, we love you. We worship you tonight. We thank you for your word that was brought forth. God, we pray tonight that we would leave with power. God, that we would walk, wake up tomorrow morning and carry out whatever you're telling us to do. Every conviction, everything that you're calling us and drawing us to do. God, we respond to you tonight. We love you. 
and we worship you in Jesus' mighty name. If you're grateful you came tonight, can you clap your hands for Jesus? Come on. Amen. Hey, we hope to see you next week, just as Pastor Jeff said. Thank you for being here tonight. We'll see you this weekend. God bless you guys.